0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Dr. Joel McDermott. Joel is the uh, Director of Research for American Vision. He's a book author and a regular contributor to the American Vision website. And Joel and his wife and four sons live in Georgia. Joel, it is great to have you with us today. It's good to be here. Thank you. You know, I I saw your name in print the other day. I guess I'm on a mailing list from you guys, and uh, there was one particular subject that caught my attention, Joel, and maybe we can talk about it today. And it was regarding your attempt, kind of a project, to influence in a real positive way the uh, county sheriffs around our nation, getting good information and literature into their hands, as you work uh, very diligently to try to, um, to maintain and improve our liberties, our liberties that are are fast fading away, and I'm wondering if you can tell us about that project that you're working on.
1: Well, I'd love to. It stems back from our larger project, which uh, was our book, "Restoring America One County at a Time," and we uh, we took ten major areas of life, uh, you know, including education, welfare. And we looked at what the Bible has to say about them, what is freedom in these areas, and then we compared that to American history. And what we found was there was a time when we were much, much freer in biblical terms than we are today, and so that led to the questions, the two following questions. uh, How did we lose that liberty historically, and how do we get it back? And so I structured the book uh, and each topic along those lines, And the focus in in almost every one of them is the the growth of government is just out of control. And honestly, it has been all through American history. It's been punctuated uh, at different times by things like the Civil War or the Progressive Era. But uh, in general, it has grown the whole time. And so one of the focuses in the book is to decentralize, to, to have a focus on getting back the function of government down to what it's supposed to be, and as local as possible. So we want a government that's as small as possible, and we're talking civil government, as small as possible, and as local as possible. And, of course, when you do that, in an American context, it's, it's, it's okay to focus on a county level. You know, historically, people who want to decentralize the government have talked about states' rights. And there's some legitimate discussion to be had there. But I want to go even one step further and talk about county level right. Let's focus on local government, local change, local community, taking care of things through churches and communities and private businesses and things of that nature. And uh, when you begin to talk about local government, one of the most obvious areas areas and one that's actually in the news quite a bit these days, is the local county sheriff. Now my own father was a county sheriff at one point in his life and still works in the county uh, one county uh, sheriff's department up in Indiana and so this has always been something that's been on my mind and kind of close to my heart. So uh, we thought we would expand this project by taking it literally to the county sheriffs and placing in their hands a copy of our book, contacts with our ministry, uh, hopefully in the future some kind of contacts and forums where we can answer questions, get feedback on things that other people are doing that we don't know about, things that we can share, things of that nature. And above all, when you come to the county sheriff, you're not going to tell the guy how to... do I'm a minister. I'm a Christian minister and scholar. I'm not going to tell the sheriff how to do his job. Sure. But in this day and age, the county sheriff, in many cases, needs to be reminded that he's a minister of God, as Romans 13 says, that you are to punish evil and commend good, which means you need to know the law of God so that you know what is evil and what is good. Okay, And you need to realize that you are first and foremost a servant to Him, and uh, and then to the Constitution and to the people. So putting these things in their place, if you will, is one of the main steps we need to take to restore the liberties we once had and the liberties of life that are described in
0: God's Word. Mm. Well, that's wonderful, and uh, that does answer my question as to what this is all about. Um, your book, you mentioned... Um, Restoring America One County at a Time. I love that concept. Um, many of us are familiar, certainly, with states' rights, but um, it really doesn't stop there, does it? It's really at a at a lower level, um, both, uh, let's say, family and education and uh, local uh, civil government.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the county is just there to get your attention, so to speak, to <laughs> say... <laughs> say something radical maybe that you've never heard before, but really it goes beyond that. As you said, it goes down to the individual and private business, and certainly with family and education in the home, if possible, and in, in private Christian schools, primarily. Welfare is something that used to be taken care of privately. I mean, there's still people alive today who can remember there wasn't a Social Security system, and today we're just surrounded with it. We think the government takes care of people in old age, and that's not the way it's supposed to be, according to the Bible, and... The vast majority of Christian history. So let's take a look at some of the examples of how to get back to the the way the Bible. And this is something that in Timothy, Paul commands the church to do, not the civil government, not coercion based on taxation and confiscation of money, but the churches through private charity. Mm. So, what are some ways we can at least begin to start brainstorming and get back in the mindset of doing things in a decentralized, local level, church, community, charity type uh, mentality?
0: So this is some um, this is some information in this book of yours that's that's not only biblically based but it's researched uh, historically. In other words, you look back and say, "Hey, folks, this is how it used to be done, and by the way, it worked much better this way." <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about welfare just a little bit. Um, um, I don't want to get people upset at all. Perhaps some of our listeners are are down and out and receiving a government check. Um, yeah. This is not intended to uh, get you upset, but in terms of welfare, uh, what, what would the Bible teach us? What would come from the very Word of God regarding welfare?
1: Well, uh, just like I just mentioned, one of the key areas is for those who cannot, absolutely cannot provide for themselves, both Old Testament law and New Testament instruction under Paul instructs the Church to have a fund to take care of widows and orphans. Now, you know, when we talk about changing things in that nature in our modern context, like I said, we've, we've grown up in a world where the only thing we know is vast quantities of government intervention when it comes to all forms of welfare, from food stamps and the old-age pensions and, and a whole range of things. And when you start talking about, you know, let's get back to what the Bible prescribes, people get very scared, I think, fearful, oh, they're going to take my, my support away. And, I mean, the, I mean, the question of what to do and how to go about doing it are two different things. You know, obviously, if we were more of a society like the Bible speaks about, where all of these needs are taken care of through private, charitable means and churches, you wouldn't flip that switch overnight and leave all right. these poor people hanging. You would transition to that over time, but that brings up a series of practical questions. And my point is, We need to put those questions on the table. You know, being afraid to ask them and being afraid of some of the consequences are is not going to get us anywhere except more tyranny and more misery down the line. And if you look at the future for Social Security and Medicare funds, there's not much of a a future there. I mean, it's very bleak. Uh, The last statement I got from the Social Security Department, keep in mind I'm not even 40 years old, uh, said, uh, you know, when you retire, you'll get it. There are enough funds here for you to get seventy percent of what we originally promised you. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you know they're already they're already cutting back thirty percent on me, sure. and maybe some older folks are not in that boat yet. But I know people younger than me; it's going to be even worse, and I expect it to get even worse in the future. So these are things we have to reform. Period. What? Why not start to try and reform it back to a biblical solution? And people who have this is one area where I believe that our Amish and Mennonite brothers and sisters. Uh, can show us a positive way forward, and that doesn't mean you have to live Amish completely. But this is one area where they've really excelled in taking care of their own. You don't see Amish elderly starving to death. You don't see them uh, in need. You don't see Amish orphans, certainly, uh, at least not very many. And, and and they have a system that is based on private charity, done through the church, done through their local community, in which they provide for those needs. Now, why can't the rest of us Christians do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the Bible, so let's at least start having that discussion, even if we know it's going to be a uh, a more painful discussion when we get talking about practicality. you know and some of us like me will probably have to sacrifice some of the money we've given in social security mm. uh, in order to make a switch like that. but that's this that's where really where it gets down to mm. in all of these topics it really gets down to if you want liberty, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And, and i think that's what trips a lot of people up.
0: And you know, you got me thinking also um folks that we have an, a number of senior listeners uh, to this station and um uh, we love our seniors. Um yet it it is very easy to get into um the rut if you will <laughs> thinking that, you know, i'm i'm kind of being provided for now. Please don't upset the apple cart. And yet what we want to do, what we really want to do here in one point is is um, train our minds to think long term, to think about uh, handing the baton of faith onto our children, our children's children, and their children, and seeing growth um, in Christianity and really positive cultural growth so that, you know, God has made us to— to work and want to work, and and we we derive satisfaction from that. It's got to be a terrible entrapment. Um, now I'm talking about the back to the welfare in general. Terrible entrapment to say, well, what am I going to do today? Well, I'm I'm going to get my government check, and I'm not going to work too hard because if they see me getting an income, maybe they'll take the government check away and all that. That's a that's a terrible trap to be in.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. When it comes to those forms of welfare. Uh, that they do create disincentives to work and to be productive. And, of course, that's just the opposite of what God's Word tells us to do. You know, a man who won't provide for his own family it says is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. Yes. Uh, and, of course, there are many, many exhortations in the Proverbs about uh, uh, being diligent, being productive, being hardworking, and those things like that. That's part of our wisdom. That's part of what it means to be wise and not foolish, which is the whole theme of the book of Proverbs. So that's absolutely on point, and we talk about that quite a bit—that kind of mentality—quite a bit in the book. Mm. Uh, and I have I have kind of uh, um, several themes that run through the whole thing, in, in in regard, in addition to the structure of the book, and they are one of the that we're going to provide practical solutions for people to do right now. You know, there's are some mm-hmm. areas in which they're not so much to do, and some areas in which there's a lot you can do. But there's pra- take some practical steps. Um, secondly, they're going to be uh, sacrificial. You've got to have a sacrificial attitude and be willing to work hard and willing to give up some things in order to get freedom back. Um, thirdly, you've got to think locally, as we've already talked about. And fourthly, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. So let's start having, like you said a while ago, a long-term vision, a multi-generational vision.
2: Mm, amen.
1: I, I I am ready to pour out and sacrifice to get freedom back, but you know what? I don't really expect to get it back in my lifetime. I expect to lay the foundations for my children, grandchildren to get it back in their lifetimes because that's the only way I can see it happening.
0: Yes. Oh, that's so very true. Now, when we started our, our discussion today, we we were talking a little bit about the sheriff, the local sheriff and yeah. uh, you mentioned a really important verse of Scripture. I, I opened my Bible in the meantime to Romans 13, and I wanted to read that again and um, maybe we can talk a little bit about um, your trying to get this material into sheriff's hands and, and if any have accepted it. Uh, here's the verse. Um, it says, "'For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain.'" for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And, um, of course, right away, that that strongly implies that people have an understanding of what is good and what is evil. But uh, tell us a little bit about um, any of these sheriffs who have accepted your materials.
1: Well, uh, that's being actually done through, through, quote-unquote, my front office. so. (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've had some contact with some local officials here and there, but I, I usually don't disciple them one-on-one. I just usually sure. give them the book and, and to read it. But I, I would say a couple of things, on uh, backing on what you've read there in Romans 13 and other places. And it brings up uh, two very important areas of thought in regard to local law enforcement. Uh, the first one is, like you've already said, that this guy is God's minister. And it's important for sheriffs to know both to be held in check by the fact, but also to be encouraged by the fact they're God's minister. Mm. They're doing good work. They're upholding God's law. You know, they are there to maintain order in society. And But at the same time, don't be thinking you're some something special and that you're the head guy around here because you have an authority over you. But secondly, in that passage, what really stands out to me and is often not talked about so much is Romans 13.1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher authorities. And that word is plural. Higher authorities. He's not talking about a single emperor or a sole king telling everybody what to do. In other words, when there are multiple authorities, you have checks and balances. And historically, when you have, in our society, you have federal government, state government, local governments. Those exist on different levels. And they exist there on different levels for the protection of the people so that when the federal government does something overstepping its bounds, state governments can band together and withstand them. Lower magistrates can band together and say, no, you cannot encroach here like that. When states begin to overstep their boundaries, local sheriffs and local law enforcement, local officials can come together and, and withstand that, resist that. And that is The doctrine almost lost today, although it's coming back very quickly, but it comes directly out of the Reformed and Protestant traditions, uh, through John Locke to Thomas Jefferson, and through the Presbyterian tradition, John Witherspoon to James Madison. When our own federal government, let me say this, that is the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. When higher government authorities begin to overstep their bounds, the lesser magistrate has a duty to stand up in defense of the people and resist that tyranny. And that was, as I said, elucidated by Thomas Jefferson and John Madison in 1798 when our federal government overstepped its bounds and began to get a little high and mighty through the administration of John Adams. And I won't tell the whole story about what he did with the Alien and Sedition Acts, but what, what happened was Jefferson sat down and wrote a document called the Kentucky Resolve, which developed the standard, reformed doctrine of nullification that said, if you write a law like that, the state is not going to recognize it as a valid law, and we won't enforce it. Madison did the same thing in Virginia with the Virginia Resolve, and he he developed, he called it interposition. When the federal government develops a law like this that we think is an ungodly law or an unjust law, we are going to interpose ourselves between the people and the federal government and not enforce that law and protect our people from it. So, and like I said, this is something that was developed during the Reformation. Uh, a group of Lutherans did it. So did John Calvin. So did John Knox. Several of the reformers, and it's passed down through the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition into American policy. And it's beginning to be revived today. When you look out and you see things like recently with this Cliven Bundy incident, whatever good or ill you may think of his personal position when the federal government begins to assert uh, overwhelming force, which there's, this is very shady and questionable, local militia, local law enforcement come out, uh, stand up and say, no, we will not let you cross that line. Now, it may not be done perfectly in that case, but that's a good example of it. And you're seeing it also all over the country. There's the Tenth Amendment Center. You're beginning to see many states take the first initiative to withstand certain federal policies or federal agencies in regards to a whole range of issues, whether it's raw milk, the consumption of raw milk, or uh, things like uh, uh, sheriff's uh, jurisdictions, and a whole, like I said, a whole range of other things. So this is biblical. It's right out of Romans 13 and other places, and it was developed by the Reformed Christian tradition and right into American history. And I think that's very encouraging. And so we need to remind our local sheriffs of these things. And if they aren't already, to get them on board with doing the biblical and historic Christian thing to do when it comes to local
0: government. Mm. This is helpful, and um, I just love the reminder that uh, our local sheriff, according to God's Word, is, uh, is a minister. <laughs> He's a minister for good.
1: Let me just clarify that, too. In, in the Greek text, the word is diakonos. He is a deacon for God. He is a servant of God.
0: Oh, that's that is powerful. So, yeah. so we have this concept here of the lower magistrates, and that's not a very popular word today, but it's a powerful word. I love your use of it. The the, the lower magistrates placing themselves between us and whatever overreaching higher authority has come in uh, upon us, uh, oppressing us, and so um, that way we are not our own boss. Uh, We're not totally autonomous, but we have this umbrella, if you will, over us that's really ordained by God that's protecting us.
1: Yes. Historically, that's what the word federal actually means. It means layers of relationships, covenanting with each other, local, state, federal. It is not a big central national government controlling everything. It's supposed to be one layer of government that's there for a particular set of purposes. Yeah. And uh so so and those relationships are very important uh, all the way between the people and the federal level.
0: Mm, good point. Now we've got about uh, 4 or 5 minutes left to our discussion today. I want you to feel free to take some time and uh invite folks to your website, any books that you would recommend, and now would be a great time to do that, uh Joel. Oh,
1: that that's a, a great uh opportunity, actually. Uh, well, our, our ministry is called American Vision, and our website is simply AmericanVision.org, and you will find links to our store there. Of course, you'll also find daily articles on topics on every, uh, every topic you can imagine, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, like we were talking about, more governmental and political issues today, but we also talk about education, we also do biblical studies on a range of topics, theological topics. Uh, just a, a range of things, and they're, they're usually refreshed with new content daily on our website. And we have a social media presence on Facebook. We're also on Twitter. And we have links on our website to our store, as I said, with just uh, dozens and dozens of materials to choose from, whether it's books, uh, audio sets, even some video sets uh, for that can be used by uh, uh, Sunday schools, homeschooling groups, or individuals. And th- those also, all of our books, for me and for Gary DeMar and others, uh, range across several topics. Mm. So uh, th- this book, Restoring America, is available, of-, of course. There was one chapter I expanded and made its own book on the, the Bible and war in America. Uh, there's, uh, uh, I've written about 10 or 12 books myself. Uh, Gary, I think, has written. He's been doing this a lot longer than I have. I think he's got twenty or thirty. <laughs> so a, a lot of stuff on eschatology, Bible prophecy. So uh, you, you could really go there and spend the whole day and then some, uh, just looking through all that we've done in the past. Uh, well, American Vision was founded in 1978. So what is that going on? Uh, twenty six years or so,
0: mm. so or, or or more. Yeah, more. So. I, some uh, thirty six years. Well, um, this, is, this is wonderful. Um, in closing, maybe you could just remind us of how the civil magistrate, I'm looking again at Romans 13 and verse 3 this time. Um, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Suppose we have a sheriff listening or someone in that line of work. How would you encourage them today to fulfill their proper role?
1: Well, that's a great question. There's a wonderful passage, I believe, in Luke three, when John the Baptist is baptizing people, and, and groups of people begin to come to him. Like the Pharisees come, other people come, and it says a group of Roman soldiers came to him, and they said, "What about us? What are we supposed to do?" And he says, "He says, you know what? Just be content with your wages." And I believe he simply tells them, "Don't extort people, you know, mm. don't don't oppress people," and. and that's actually profound You could get a whole sermon out of those two small things because there are a lot of nuances to it but at the bottom line he's saying just do your job that you're called to do don't go beyond it i mean when you're entrusted with the use of force which is what law enforcement is it's the it's legalized monopoly on force and coercion when you're entrusted with that we see this all over the the, the nation today police going beyond legitimate uses of force Abusing people, beating people, and almost taking delight in assaulting people—they've handcuffed and wrestled down. We see into this almost every day. It seems like um, that message needs to go to them: don't go, you know, don't do that. Do what you're supposed to do. Do it right. Do it as a servant of God. Do it with godly Christian ethics, and be content in that. But, like I said earlier, also be encouraged that what you're doing is God's word. You know, and and that's something definitely sheriffs need to know because, hey, uh, sheriffs have a huge burden, not only in the physical side of law enforcement, but in the administrative side and taking care of of other deputies and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And then there's a political aspect to it because you have to run for re-election ever so many years. I mean, they have a tremendous emotional and mental burden as well on top of the physical. So they need constant encouragement that what they're doing is God's work, and they need constant check to To remind themselves to do God's work in God's way according to God's law.
0: Mm, amen. And and certainly pray for your local sheriff that God's blessing will rest upon him. Well, today uh, we've been talking with Dr. Joel McDermott. Uh, he's the director of research for American Vision, and uh, maybe you're new to this um, uh, website here. It's uh, AmericanVision.org. It's a wonderful resource, and particularly. If you have an interest in, in working within government and, and wanting to affect government in a real positive Christian way, or perhaps you're homeschooling and you want some literature to help um, train your young women and men in your home, this would be a great resource and a great link for you. Joel, thanks again for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much. It's been my privilege.
0: Yep. God bless you and your work, and uh, maybe we can talk again in the future. Sure, I hope so. Thank you. Okay. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. A quick reminder, check us out online where this broadcast is posted up there as a podcast. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Be sure to join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.